Well, good morning and Happy New Year. It is good to see so many of you here. I want to commend you. You have navigated and defeated the triumvirate of excuses to not be in church. We have alternate schedule, we have bad weather, and we have winter holidays. So, good for you. I'm grateful you're here, and I trust that the Lord is going to meet you if he hasn't already. Well, it is New Year, and we know that this is a time to reflect on our past, to consider the future. It's a time for those things called resolutions. And I don't know what you think about resolutions, but my favorite Facebook wisdom this week on resolutions went like this. My goal for 2015 is to accomplish the goals of 2014, which I should have done in 2013 because I made a promise to myself in 2012 to do what I planned in 2011. Now, whatever your feelings about resolutions, I think it is important for us as believers especially to take time and pause throughout our lives, and this is a good time to do that, and consider what it means to become a better person. And I would hope and pray that as, as believers that our, our desire would be for this upcoming year uh, would be to be closer to God and to be more like Him at the end of the year. You know, when it comes to resolutions, I've, I've give, sort of given up on the idea, mainly because I have so much to work on, having one or two resolutions isn't enough. Um, but what I've been doing, and I just want to share you, with you a bit of a journey, a bit of a, uh, allow you to enter into something we're trying to, to look at and we're trying to consider. Um, it's something that, that, it's an idea from Scripture that my wife and I have talked about at length. And we'd like to pursue, and we'd like to see happen in our lives and in our family's lives this year. We've talked so much about it that, in fact, I had a sign made with this um, concept on it. And she actually bought me a gift certificate at Christmas to have the sign made. And here's a picture of it. If you can see that up there. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the one who takes refuge in him. And that is my wife on Christmas morning. And yes, I was given permission to use that picture. And yes, that is the way she looks when she wakes up. I am a blessed man. Psalm 34.8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What would it look like if that defined your year? What would it look like if you spent your year tasting and seeing that God is good? What if you spent less time trying to learn about Him and more time trying to know Him? You know, sometimes I think we settle for reading the cookbook and looking at the pictures instead of enjoying the meal. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to wonder at His goodness and to relate to Him. I think we are too busy and we're too afraid, we're too self-occupied and self-important to pause and open our eyes and see the world for what it really is, that it's all from God, it's all a gift, and then to see through that gift and see God Himself. 
You know, in our day-to-day lives, we miss heavens declaring the majesty of the Lord. We get so hunched over in our little routines, our petty quarrels, that we fail to see that the skies proclaim the very works of God. And we can get so tied into our own way of reading Scripture and approaching God that we literally anesthetize ourselves against seeing Him and experiencing His goodness. Or we can get so caught up in the here and now that we forget what God has done for us in the past. So we have little trust that He can help us today and we have little faith that He can do anything in the future. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to taste and see that He is good. What does that mean, to taste and see? Let me try and explain it to you this way. It involves uh, several steps. I think to taste and see first means that we need to stop. We need to stop and take our eyes off of our own lives, our own focus of ourselves, and we need to look to God and what He's revealed about Himself. It involves our intention, our will, and our effort and our focus. So first we must stop and look to God. Then we must look carefully at His revelation. God has revealed Himself primarily in His Word, but He's revealed Himself also in His creation, and He's revealed Himself in our experience. And so when we look to God's creation, His Word, His creation, our experience, we need to discipline ourselves when we look at these things, to see the truth and the beauty and the goodness of what He has done and what He has made. And when we look at His revelation, the goal of tasting and seeing is looking through His good gifts, His good creation, and seeing God Himself and His character. I believe that's what tasting and seeing means. And I believe that's what God wants for us in 2015. And you look back at Psalm 34.8, look what happens when we eat this meal, when we taste and see His goodness. We experience Him, right? Which leads to trusting Him. And when we trust Him, we run to Him for refuge. And there, we are blessed. That is tasting and seeing. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. All right. Great thought to start the year. But how do we put this into practice? Well, what I want us to do is I want us all to consider three tangible ways from Scripture that can help us put tasting and seeing into practice. Now, I'm going to break the rules. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm going to trust you to follow along. So I hope you're all in, and I hope you can jump in with me. And follow these along. The first call that, that will help us to taste and see starts at the very beginning of Scripture. And it, we're going to hear its echo in the very end of Scripture. See if you can pick this up. I'm going to fly through a bunch of passages. Don't necessarily try and find the passages, but just see if you can hear this theme that will help us taste and see. We start in Genesis 1. We see that God has created all things and and declared everything good. And in verse 28, God blesses His people and He commissions them to take care of His good creation. Now listen to verse 29. 
Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is in the face of the earth, and every tree with its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then in verse 31, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Then the fall happens, and things aren't so good anymore. But God returns to this very same call in giving the, the covenant to the Israelites. In Exodus, he says to them, Behold, I am making a covenant. Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all people, I will do marvels such as you have not, have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Hundreds of years later, Though the people have not kept their covenant promises, the prophets themselves offer this same call. Isaiah in chapter 12 says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. And Isaiah even goes further to foreshadow the salvation that will come to the world. In Isaiah 7.14, what do we see him saying? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. Fast forward to the New Testament, and John the Baptist sees Jesus on the banks of the Jordan. And what does he declare? Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul, when reflecting on what Jesus has done, says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Apostle John makes the same call when he explains the relational impact that we now have because Jesus has died for us. In 1 John 3.1, what does he say? Behold, what manner of love the Father has given Unto us that we should be called the children of God. And then, at the very end of time, John offers this amazing, beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth descending out of heaven. And what is the very first word we hear out of God's mouth? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be, be their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying anymore. For the former things have passed away. I hope you caught it. Starting in Genesis, what does God say? He says, I'm giving you all that you need to take care of my good creation. And then because of us, sin and death enter the world. And right away, God reaches out to humanity to provide a way back to Him. And though the people rebel, He still provides a way for ultimate salvation through Jesus. And when Jesus enters the scene, we, we hear that He will take away the sins of the world, that He will make all things new, and that through Him we can now be called the children of God. And one day... It will be the way it's supposed to be. It'll be the way it was. It will be good again. And one common call 
ties all of those together. Behold. Behold. It's a very common word. It's found over 1,200 times in the Bible. But it's rather abstract. And I like how some of the scholars have tried to define it. They defined it in these ways. To fix the eyes upon. To direct or fix the mind. To see with attention. I like that one. Or to observe with care. Or as my favorite one is, as one pointing out something important and saying, wow, look at that. But I want to challenge us all to think beyond, wow, look at that. Because I don't think that's what God is calling us to. You see, when the Bible says, behold, God is saying, look. Look at what I've done. And then through what I've done and what I've planned, see me. God is saying, I am good. You can trust me. I love you. And he's not doing it because he needs anything from us. He's doing it because we need him. Beholding is seeing through God's work and his perfect plan that we find in the Bible and seeing the goodness of God himself. So you want to taste and see that God is good? I want to challenge you to commit to coming to his word with open eyes, looking for the story. As you see his good works, remember God wants you to see him. Our good God wants you to see all that he has done and all of who he is. What does this look like in our own lives? And how do we discipline ourselves to behold in Scripture? Well, let me give you an example from my own life. Um, I, I try to stay ahead when it comes to sermon series. And we're going to be in the book of James in the fall, so I'm trying to stay ahead. It's one of the, it's probably the only thing that I've ever been able to stay ahead of with Jason Lancaster, ever. So, um, but I've been trying to stay ahead. I've been reading the book of James. And James chapter 1 is great, isn't it? It, it talks about all these wonderful things about knowing uh, about trials and prayers and hearing versus doing and pure religion. But, but then you get to chapter 2 and it's about partiality. And if somebody's wearing a, a gold ring, they come in and you're not supposed to pay it, give them special attention. And, you know, having read that many times, I, I remember the first time I read through this again anew, I remember thinking to myself, this is, just, this is honest, I'm like, why is this in the Bible? Why is this really... Why is this really here? And then my mind went to like, well, I know so-and-so would do that. I would never do that. And I kept kind of going through that fleshly route. But the Spirit grabbed me and said, no. Why, why is this here? And the Lord, I believe, helped me behold. The reason that we're not to show partiality is because God the Father, through His Son Jesus, didn't show partiality when He chose me. And so I went from wondering why this was here and thinking wrong things about people to being able to enter into worship because I saw the goodness of God in his word. And that's just a little thing he did in my life. You see, we can read the Bible without God's good works and perfect plan in our minds. We can't behold. 
And oftentimes, it'll just quickly turn into rules and rituals. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to find Him. To find Him through the lens of His works and His purposes in Scripture. We taste and see that God is good by beholding. Which leads us to the second discipline I'd like to talk about. And again, you need to follow along with me here. I'll be running through uh, some, some other scriptures here. But let's start in Proverbs. This is a fun one. Proverbs 6, 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways. And be wise. Jesus himself said this, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. And Jesus went on to say, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You see, though it's marred by the fall, God's creation is a place for you and I to taste and see that God is good. And in the verses I just read, we're called to consider. To consider God in creation, His wisdom, His goodness, and His beauty. We see the wisdom of the ant. We see the provision for the raven and the beauty and care for the lily. Have you ever stopped and looked around you? Have you ever wondered at all the things that God has made? I mean, what type of God do we serve who causes a flower to grow under the snow on the top of a mountain or creates jeweled fish at the bottom of the ocean that no one will ever see? Who creates perfect crystal structures and all the snowflakes that are falling out there for no other reason than his own good pleasure? What type of God do we serve? Well, he's the type of God who wants us to consider his creation and see through that creation and see him. He is one who revels in beauty. He is one who has ordained order. He is one who has given us the gift so that we can praise and thank the giver. You want to taste and see? Consider God's goodness in creation. Well, here I, I have an intensely practical application. This fall I found myself doing a lot of extra driving, and it involved the Kennedy. I think you know what I'm talking about. And I have to be honest, it wasn't always pretty. On a couple of occasions, Pastor Jason will verify, I had to come into the office and I had to confess that my actions and my attitude were not appropriate on the Kennedy. But, every once in a while, God would break through and help me to consider. One time it was a sunrise, and I just want to take you through my train of thought. And I wasn't in a good mood. This traffic was stopped. Stopped. And I'm grumbling and complaining and I look up and I see a sunrise. And I think, okay, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. But it kept going. God, thank you for making the sunrise. It's a stinky morning. 
And my, my situation just stinks, and I don't know what's happening, but thank you for making the sunrise. And then it went beyond that. God, thank you for being faithful, for never changing, and for always being there. And I wasn't whining anymore. What was I doing? I was worshiping. You see, considering God in creation helped move me from a self-centered, self-pity to real worship. And that's what he wants. In 2015, may we stop and consider the wisdom and the faithful provision and even the beauty of God's creation. I believe when we do that, we can begin to taste and see the goodness of God himself. We taste and see by beholding God in his perfect plan and good works in the Bible. And we taste and see by considering his character through creation. But I'm going to offer one final way, one final call that God gives his people that I believe helps us to taste and see. Remember when Joshua was leading the conquest of the promised land? And Remember how there was no way for all the people to cross the River Jordan? And remember how the priests bearing the ark put their feet in the water and, and the river stopped and the water parted? And remember how God told Joshua to have 12 stones brought through the Jordan and set up in an altar on the promised land? And remember, remember what Joshua told the people? Listen, Joshua 4.20. And those twelve stones which he took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we all passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Remember, God wants his people to remember. To remember what he had done for them, we see this in Joshua. To remember what he had brought them through. To remember his power. To remember his faithfulness. Why? So that his people would continue to worship him and fear him. So that they would continue to believe in him. Why? So that all the peoples of the earth would believe. Our remembering is very important in the life of our church. Our remembering what God has done is very important in the life of this world. We fast forward to the beginning of the New Testament and we hear Jesus himself echoing the same call to remember. Listen to what Paul, Paul says when he describes this scene in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what you all, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also we took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Remembering is important to God. 
it's so important that it's the first thing that, that God commanded his people when they reached the promised land. And it's one of the last things that Jesus tells his followers to do before he goes to the cross. In fact, he wants us to remember his work on the cross whenever we gather. It's one of the primary functions of the church gathered to remember his work on the cross by observing the Lord's Supper. Remembering is important to God, and I want to say remembering is important for you. Remembering what God has done yesterday will strengthen us for today. Remembering how God has come through in the past will help us have faith for today, peace in the midst of our current trials, and hope for tomorrow. You see, remembering helps us to keep the faith. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy at the end of his life, at the end of his long ministry. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have, in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You see what Paul was doing there? He was encouraging Timothy to keep the faith. And he was encouraging him because Paul was remembering. He was remembering that God had been faithful. He remembers that he had a relationship with God. He remembers that God has a call on his life. And he wants the same for Timothy. You want to keep the faith? You want to taste and see? Then remember. Remember what God has done in Scripture and in your life. Remember and give thanks. Remembering helps us to taste and see that God is good. And we trust Him to provide refuge today. We can trust Him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him because we know He has faithfully provided rescue in days gone by. So tasting and seeing. If that's something you want to do, I want to encourage you. Spend time beholding God and His good works and perfect plan in the Bible. Consider God's character as you see his good creation. And remember God's good works on your behalf. In 2015, may we just not settle for reading the cookbook. May we taste the meal. May we not just attend the seminar or read the relationship books, but, but may we enter into real intimacy and trust. Let's pursue God. Let's just not learn about him. Let's see Him and love Him. May we truly taste and see that God is good and that He protects and blesses us. And as He's doing that, may we be changed and may we be made whole. This would be a good place to stop. But I want us to apply this message right now in our own lives. I want us to practice tasting and seeing as we end this service. I'm about to close in prayer, but after I do, we're going to turn immediately to a time of communion and prayer. And if you're new this morning and you're wondering who this meal is for and, and how exactly we celebrate it, there's an insert in your bulletin. I encourage you to read that. But we do this as followers of Jesus to remember his perfect life, to remember his obedient death, on our behalf. You see, on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin that each of us deserves, and he defeated death and gave us the power to overcome in this life. 
And He did this for us. And He doesn't want us to forget. So please prepare your hearts to remember. And may we all taste and see that God is good. Now as the worship team comes and music plays and we're worshiping together, as you feel led, come to the table. I pray that you will do it rejoicing and remembering. Finally, as always, as we celebrate communion, the elders will be available for prayer on the sides of the room. If you'd like to be prayed for, please don't hesitate to come. Let us pray. Father, forgive us as your people for settling, for knowing about you. Father, forgive us for loving your gifts and what you've created more than loving you, the giver of all good things and the creator of all. Father, open our eyes, open our minds, help us to behold you in your word, to consider you on every phase of creation and to remember what you've done in your word and in our lives. Father, we want to taste and see And I pray now as we come to the table that we will search our hearts remembering our need for you and rejoicing at what you've done for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.